Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's good, man? How are we feeling? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Today, very excited. We're going a, a bit across the pond uh, to Vienna, Austria. <laughs> uh, we have John Sebastian Permal. He is the director of A&R for Sony Music Entertainment, Continental Europe and Africa. Uh, he plays a, a paramount role as far as helping drive the company's A&R strategy across those respective regions, uh, provides creative support to the different A&R teams in those different respective local markets, and helps connect artists to the different Sony Music teams and functions around the world. Really enjoyed this episode. Great to dive into a very international approach and really cover his approach to discovering and developing artists and how local markets Markets can influence A&R strategy as well as international music trends. So I really enjoyed this, man. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a super eye opening. I know we've, we've interviewed a few ARs on the podcast so far, but I think this one is is super special in its own right and super eye opening, especially as it pertains to large territories. I mean, he he looks after Europe and Africa; those are two continents. So we yeah. talk about um, you know what it's like, kind of taking two continents, two very large continents and, and finding artists on them and the difference in what that process is like. Uh, we talked about the importance of a solid team before you sign to a label. Um, when I asked him what he kind of looks for and why looking for a, a great team beforehand is is important to b- before you even get signed to a label and, and what that synergy should look like. Uh, we talk about the differences between A&Rs at different levels. So the difference between a junior A&R and, and someone at his level. And, and of course, we got some great stories and, and talked about the first major win he achieved as an A&R. So uh, we got a lot of we got a lot of a lot of gems in this one. And I'm super excited for people to hear it. For sure. Well, without any further ado, uh, he goes by Seb. So Seb, here he is. <laughs> Seb, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm a bit nervous. Uh, it's my <laughs> first podcast, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inv- the invitation, and pretty excited. Oh yeah, de- definitely, man. We're excited to have you. I think for starters, we'd love to just kind of open up the, the question because I know a lot of our, our listeners ask this and even myself too. It's like it's something I'm always curious about. Like I know A&R, from my perspective, the responsibility is largely to find artists as well as to help existing artists on roster create great music. So when you think about your day-to-day, what's the split like? Are you spending the majority of your time trying to find up-and-coming talent you can sign? Are you spending more of your time towards actually like trying to find a great vocalist or a writer or producer to collaborate with this artist and how does that work for you so i think it's it's every ANR it's pretty individual you know i think it depends at which phase you are in the year you know i have a period where i'm trying to sign more artists and and, and discover new artists but i also make it a priority to make sure to create great music with artists that i've already signed Uh, to make them successful because, uh, you know, if you've signed 10 artists, you would like to make at least all of them have a a, a very regular output, put out music and and have a career because, you know, there's not so much that can be done if you're signing 20 artists and you can't cater to to their needs. 
Right. Absolutely. Which uh, kind of leads me to the next question, which is um, there are obviously levels, different levels of ANR, and that's a little bit less clear to me, kind of the differences between those levels. So at your level, at being such a high level, what do you say are the main differences between like an ANR at your level or like, a you know, the equivalent of like an associate ANR? And, what, and what's the difference between the conversations that, you know, the two roles might have? Uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, in, in, in Europe, we do have a different perspective towards U.S. A&R and hierarchy, you know, how we see things, you right. know, here, the head of A&R, the director of, of A&R, he might do as much groundwork in, in, in signing an artist than, you know, a junior A&R would have to do. And, right. and we, we do have less of a hierarchy system in, in, in our region, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. but of course, you know, it happens very often, but I do get involved in helping a colleague which has less experience on how to close a deal, on, on how to earn of a project. And, you know, does he need a contact to a bigger singer-songwriter? Does he need, you know, introduction, you know? So I don't think there's, at least in Europe, we don't put so much level uh, uh, between us. But it's something that, you know, of course, some people have more experience and even myself. I keep learning from people who are high in the food chain right. uh, and who can always teach me, introduce me and advise me. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so I think in that journey of, of growing yourself, I'm very curious to hear like what have been some of the most rewarding moments of either signing or developing artists and like actual stories, actual artists. Uh, I think, you know, maybe one of the most memorable story for me uh, was me prior to moving to Sony as an A&R is when I was an independent uh, publisher is I've always dreamed dream of having a, a gold record, you know, but it always seemed very impossible. And I was lucky to be part of a Swedish project called Charlie Who. And we had this crazy song called Russian Roulette. And, you know, we always had a great feeling about it, but it always felt so impossible because from where I come from, it does seem impossible. And I remember it was the 1st of January and I was like, you know, it would be cool to have a gold record by the end of the year. And two days later, I'm in the car with my wife and my son and I get a text that the record just went gold. The next day, we hear that the record went gold in Sweden, then in Norway, then in Finland. Two weeks later, it went platinum. And for me, that was like quite revealing because it, it was like, you know, hard work pay off, you know? So it, it did change the whole perspective because also when you put it after on social media that you're part of some successful project, it attracts other people to work with you. It also gives people confidence towards you as an executive, as a song plugger, but you coming with something relevant because, you know, success does attract success. So for me, in my career, that was the most revealing moment because it's also was like a sign towards me that, okay, I could make it in this business because coming from Mauritius and, and, and coming to Europe, which is quite a, 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 a journey, everything felt just like a dream in a way. It, it felt like, okay, I was just working out of enthusiasm and finally seeing it paid off and, you know, achieving one of the main goals uh, that I had set for myself was definitely a, a very, very rewarding, but also defining moment in my career where I could go forward. 
Right, right. You kind of mentioned something that I want to follow up for that we actually haven't uh, dived too deep into the podcast. But when we think of A&Rs, um, obviously, we've, we think of people that are very high at the top of that totem pole, like Diddy, who started off as an A&R. And you kind of see these A&Rs having like brands of their own, similar to artists, because, you know, when you go to artists, like you're saying, people, you know, people like to know who you are and they know who you they want to know who you've worked with so you can help them find success as well. What is that process like specifically as an A&R? You know, there's people in at labels who their social media is totally irrelevant to their job or there are people at labels who, um, you know, they go in every day and they sit behind a desk and those people aren't any less important, but they sit behind a desk um, and their reputation is a little bit less important than like an A&R who kind of helps usher these artists into the fold. So what is that branding process like internally, um, you know, where your internal stakeholders find six, uh, you know, can come to you for um, advice as well as um, signing successful acts and also externally to kind of to kind of build that reputation up as a reputable a and r sure I, I think you know especially with social media we've seen the exposure more and more of a and r you know flashing our our successes and and exposing it but I think it's very important not to forget that we are not the star. We are right. here to cater to a service of, of artists, you know? Of course, the good thing about nowadays that you can show to the world on, on, via social media that you've been successful with one or two artists, this really helps an a to cement his brand as an a right. as a successful a because there are many cases where, you know, people have come to me or other colleagues saying, you know, we want to sign to Sony to work with that person. We want to sign to this label to work with this person. Because right. there's still this, uh, this uh, um, how to say, this understanding that some a really knows what they're doing. They are really, uh, right. as, uh, you know, specialized in a specific genre and they know how to make people successful. And it's also cultural base. You know, I, I have, my culture is really in dance and electronic music. So, you know, some artists, a dance artist will feel very comfortable working with me because, you know, I have a, a track record of working with great and successful electronic dance artists. Right. So maybe an urban, a urban artist will have less of a, uh, a trust because I don't have this track record, but my but I might have another colleague who's you know has amazing track record in urban music, and 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 you know the artist will trust him more than than me, even if I if he hasn't had any success yet. I think it's just a, a cultural thing, also. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. And to dive deeper on the the kind of uh, like cultural understanding and expertise with regards to like electronic and dance music, when you think about how that genre is evolving and what's becoming popular. I know we, we had a clubhouse chat to, uh, a couple of weeks ago about the sounds of 2021. I'm curious from your perspective, when we think about the, um, like the, the sounds and evolution in dance music, like what do you see as becoming some of these, these new things that will be very popular on a, on a grand, almost international scale? I mean, I, I you know, like I, like I answered you back then, I don't have an answer to this, uh, because I think it's it's quite uh, you know part of the magic of it, but it always surprises us. You know, there there has been some genre that you know everyone has always called dead, but they've always survived. Like house music has never been so uh, uh, important in in the dance world than now. 
you know. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, when 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 touring was still a big thing, uh, it took more more and more space on headline. But you know, big house DJs were were, were really coming and 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 you know being headliners. I still think that the beauty of dance music is its evolution. And if we start to look at, you know, different parts of the world, there's different influences, you know, there's, you know, this African infusion, which is now coming in dance and, 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 and house music, which is very new to European and American ears. So, you know, people like Black Coffee, what they do in terms of sound is so, it's not common. So there will be a continuous evolution for dance music, which is, you know, one of the most, for me, uh, uh, polarizing job because it, it, it really, you know, it really brings people together, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it kind of leads me to um, this next question, which is you obviously look after two very large territories um, in Europe and Africa. How do you kind of... And especially, um, you know, I'm thinking in Africa in particular, there's so many different microcultures there as well. How do you kind of boil everything down to making a decision on an artist from from one of those territories um, when there's kind of so much? Is it such a large funnel that you're working with, you know? Uh, but what, can you repeat it like in, in which way you mean it? Right. So so Europe and, and Africa are both very large uh, funnels to, to, to grasp artists from, and they all have, you know, yeah. their own, their own micro cultures, um, in themselves. And I'm sure micro right. genres that we don't, that we don't haven't heard of yet. Um, how do you kind of boil down all that, you know, those two huge territories into making a decision on a specific artist? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very interesting because, you know, especially Europe and Africa culturally are very different mm -hmm. and, and the musical landscape are, are, are very different also. So, you know, of course we try to, you know, try to create success stories across this region, but it's, 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 it's very different because, you know, something that might works and be a, a hit in, 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 in South Africa might not have the same uh, effect in France, you know, but that does there, there, there are some situations where artists do cross uh, uh, territories. I mean, we've seen it with this year with Jerusalem, which comes from a song which is from South Africa and became a global hit. Right. And that's because you know, some sound are, are just universal and, and, you know, it doesn't happen with every artist. But, you know, what we try to do is, 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 is learn as much as possible how each market really works and what could potentially work. And, and what we try to do is sometimes, you know, uh, have a little bit of faith. You know, we've recently, you know, we're working on a Nigerian artist called Dice Ale, who, who just released a song called Money Dance. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very vibrant. So, you know, uh, we said, okay, you know, with this Money Dance type, you know, we've pushed it to Germany, to France, to, uh, to the UK. You know, so we, we just keep trying, I would say. You know, of course, not everything is easy, but we need to to always just be passionate about it. 
Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, faith is a lot of this. So um, definitely makes sense. Um, you know, at a high level for people who aren't necessarily privy to the different um, territories that you work in, what do you think is some really high, you know, at a very high level, major differences between um, Europe, Africa, and if you can, uh, the United States and kind of how those markets interact with each other or how you've had to approach them differently? Um, kind of, I know, I know that's a very vague question, but, you know, whatever you can kind of say on, on the difference that'll help illustrate it for our audience? I mean, you know, if, if we take U.S., Europe, and Africa, maybe the biggest difference is the economical side of things, mm. you know, and also, especially with Africa, the access to content because inter- having access to internet is still quite a big challenge across whole of Africa, you right. know? So it's, it's still something in development. And I feel that, you know, um, it's... It's, it's it's a very difficult question because, you know, U.S. is such a big market and, and there are things that are going to work in the U.S., but not going to work in the rest of the world. Right. Vice versa, you know, you can have a massive hit in Germany and it will never even go to France. And, you know, I, I never see everything as just one market because every single country has a different culture has a different way on, on how you approach a record, you know? Of course, we still have global hits, which is amazing. But, you know, I, I do think that every country, even across Africa, is different. You know, Nigeria and, and, and South Africa has two different musical landscapes. Right. You know, Afrobeat is big in, in, in Nigeria and in South Africa, it's Ama Piano. People, right. you know, I also try to say to people, Africa is not one country. It's a yeah. continent of different country. Yep. So the sound that's working in Nigeria doesn't work in, in Congo, uh, vice versa. You know, so it's really, um, it's really trying to understand how it works, you know. Yeah. And of course, you do have things that, you know, become global successes. But I also think it's important to recognize domestic success also. Right. Yeah. Um, I've had to, I've had to tell people Africa is not a country a few times, but, but one, one of the things that I, I like about that territory in general is that um, even within Africa, even within those countries, there's so many microcultures that may have completely different styles of music, even different languages. You know, my mother lived in Ethiopia when she was a child and just telling me how many different cultures that she ran into when she was there. Um, it's, it's really exciting as a, as a music consumer to, to, to finally, or to eventually be able to see a lot of those microcultures kind of come to the forefront in all their different uh, and unique ways. Cool. It's um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess like, you know, classic A&R question, um, what are the most important factors for you when evaluating or not whether you want to sign an artist? And does it change per territory? Uh, I think there's still some similarities into the process of as an ANL, what you're really looking at, uh, in, into an artist. For me, one of the main thing is the team surrounding the artist, because I'm mm-hmm. sure we all know amazing artists who are not well surrounded. And this, right. you know, this makes things fail very easily. Uh, it's also, you know, how committed they are to, 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 to their art, because I feel, you know, artists who really want it, you really feel that hunger. And there's, and we also come across artists who just want it because it's a phase. It's a phase of their life where they want to give a try. And, you know, I think every artist who I ever came across who really, I, I saw commitment, they had a plan. They had 
the next three years plan. They knew how they wanted to, you know, how they want their music video, what they don't want, uh, you know, where they would like to perform. They, they've also done homework. I think there's a lot of similarities between artists who want to be successful, you know, and 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 this is, I would say, two of the main criteria for me. It's the team around it and how committed the artist is to their art. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny, Sam. I'll let you ask a question after this. I know I've been hogging the mic a little bit. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting that you know we've heard this a lot with everyone. Um, that part of the process of working with an artist is the team surrounding an artist. Um, and I think it's really interesting because the team kind of has to be, um, or the artist rather has to kind of be the A and R of their team before A and Rs are invested in them to a certain degree. Um, and I, I think I, I want to drive that home and, and, and bring some light to that because um, it's really important to choose people who have a, that you have a great synergy with and that can work with you really well from the jump, you know, before you even get a label, you know, what's your manager, how's your man, how do you and your manager interact? How do you guys both interact with other people? You know, what is your, you know, how does your publicist interact with your work? It's, it's so important to find people that are in tune with each other because by the time they get to people like you, you can tell what that synergy looks like and you can tell the importance of, you know, what a, a high functioning team does for you, not just in terms of work, but in terms of the people that want to work 100%. with you. Hundred percent. I think you know when there's an artist meeting and they come in, they come with a manager, their agent, the publicist. You will know within the first ten minutes of the meeting, are they a one team together or everyone has just their own agenda? Right. And this along the way will really determine the success of an artist because you know it's it's especially when things are not going that well that you will see how how you know how solid they are as a team or that's when they, they they start breaking apart you know right and and for me my learning my mistake has been you know don't go for for an artist who doesn't have you know this this team which is very solid and and who is also you know have had some experience together because you know sometimes there's an artist buzzing they get a manager they come to the label and they've known each other less than a week you know, right. of course, we as a label, we have to take our chances to to do those things. But it's always good, you know, when the artist and 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 the um, and, and the manager, especially, has had some stories. You know, they went through through the trouble of putting things together. They and and they know each other a little right. bit personally because there's certain, you know, I do believe in, you know, the eye contact that, you know, people don't need to speak every time in a meeting and, and the artist and the manager agrees and disagrees on what we might be saying, you know? Right. So all this is very important in the process. You know, I like to think that, you know, a good artist and a good manager, it's very rarely that they will, especially when they would come to us, that they would disagree on something. They would only disagree if they both are not on the same page and, and have just a different agenda. Right. Somebody somebody came to me and um, asked me to be their manager at one point, but I wasn't super in tune with their music. Um, and me and that person weren't necessarily, I, I knew we weren't necessarily going to get along. That's happened a couple of times. And um, I think the best way to approach that situation for me is you want someone who's obsessed with you and your music. <laughs> like I could be the most powerful manager in the world or the most powerful a or the most powerful publicist. But if I'm not invested and obsessed with you and your music and taking you to that next level, then it's kind of all for naught, right? You know, so. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, 
I think when we all started in the business, we were all enthusiastic. So we would manage our best friend, our brother, you know, not just out of enthusiasm. And, you know, I think along the way, we all get experience and we all decide, you know, that we really want to manage if we really believe in it. Because, right. you know, you'll have to give the next three years of your life uh, a, a, a commitment towards someone. And I feel that, you know, some people who manage an artist without really believing, I think that's quite trouble, you know, because mm -hmm. there, there will be issues, uh, money problems start arising, you know. So it's, I feel that, you know, as a manager, I've been a manager and I think you know, you need to be able to defend day and night your artists and have such a solid conviction uh, con um, that, you know, he is or she is the next big thing, you know, because right. if you're not 200% in, you should not do it. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think it's uh, without that, it's, a lot of uh, undue stress that and you're just not going to push through. You're not going to have the, the passion to want to keep going. Uh, yeah, because especially, especially when things goes wrong, that's when you see how, you know, uh, how tight the group is together, how the manager really believes in it. Because we've all been part of project where things goes wrong and you, you need to have hard conversation. And that's when you will really see, you know, does the manager still want to fight hard for their artists? And this do makes the difference down the line on why an artist becomes successful because the manager is such a key part of that equation to be, you know, a little bit with blinders and still want to fight for their artists. Yeah. 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 I love it. Totally. Um, I mean, going back to when you're saying like finding these artists, I know you mentioned a couple factors and spoke well to the intangibles and the conviction that they have around the, their career. Um, when you're looking at data points, and I know we've only been able to get more and more objective with regards to seeing different kind of blips or spikes across statistics, like what data points are the most compelling for you? I mean, is it as simple as like socials or socials and streaming or like if you peel back the curtains a bit, like what are the, some of the, the quantifiable, more objective factors that to you are a, a trigger? Like, wow, like there's something happening here. We got to pay attention. I think, you know, every record label, we're all looking at data. Every ANL looks at data, but we all have different triggers and a different way to read them. You know, of course, if there's this, uh, uh, a song blowing on TikTok, we all can see this type of data, you know. And there's also, for me, the, the best way to use data is to understand what consumer wants, you know, because we... Especially ANL, we do sometimes think that we know what's trendy, what's the sound of a moment, what's the artist of a moment. And data has allowed us to, uh, to really, you know, get a, a certain feedback from, from consumers, you know, because when we start seeing, you know, an artist's uh, TikTok video, you know, grabbing a couple of million in two days, or, you know, the Instagram followers start growing, that means there's reaction. And we as an AI, we need to really, you know, start paying attention to this, you know, like, you know, if we speak about radio, Shazam is still very relevant because that, that means there's a curiosity, you know, but I feel that everyone, every AR has his, their own way of reading data and also what's, what, what is interesting with those data, you know, I, you know, 
Today, I might look at some data and I look it at a certain way and with a certain purpose. And tomorrow, I can see it with a different eyes because I'm looking for something different. Or am I looking for a specific type of artist? Or, you know, am I seeing what song is buzzing in each market? You know, so there's so much data out there that, you know, it's impossible to have one answer to, 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 to all those data. So I think, you know, everyone has just a very singular and an individual approach to read, to consume, and, and and to use it. Yeah, no, I love that. It makes a lot of sense. In that same vein, too, like data and, and having the personal approach towards filtering it. I'm I'm curious for you, like obviously in music, it's funny because, and I feel we can all resonate with this. Like we have our own personal preferences, and there's a lot of times when we're not working with people where it's like, yeah, like I can see how there's a market for this, but like. Am I going to listen to this on my own time? Hell no. <laughs> um, how do you personally feel like you're trying to, do you feel you you have a really good, like obviously you have your own personal preference. Do you feel as a professional, you've had to really groom the skill of being able to see different music that has potential, even if you don't like it personally? Uh, it, it's hard to say because, you know, I grew up on an island listening to top 40 radio where, you know, we didn't have so much tastemakers radio or, or, or outlet. You know, right. our radio was copying the French top 40. So yeah. I grew up listening to top 40. And that's what I really like also personally. You know, I, I really like top 40 music. And, and while getting into the business, I got a little bit more cultured, I would say, because I met other a and they were sharing their preferences. But I can tell you from experience, I've, I was quite surprised across my journey, meeting ARs who didn't like a type of music, but did understand it and went and have hits with it, you know? So that's for me pretty, pretty wild, but you know, you might not like something, but you might understand it and, and become very successful with it. And as you know, what matters for an ANR is not what he likes, but it's having a hit, you know? So for me, it's quite hard if I would go on something and I would not like it because I need passion to defend it to my marketing team, to my boss. You know, I, I'm someone very emotional. So, you know, if it's just because, yeah, it's buzzing, yeah, I'll do it. But, you know, I, it's very hard for me to get involved if I'm not really into it. But, you know, it's also a learning process, you know. So uh, every ANR has a very different approach to it. And that's what I can say about ANR. It's like it's very... Uh, individual everyone has a very different way of seeing it and and approaching it right um you know sam to kind of answer your question in the limited experience that i have i think that part of the excitement that i'll get um from an artist it'll have to do with me feeling like the music has a place in the market even if it's not for me and i can still get really excited about it because of that. So like I can hear, you know, and, and this is, this could be just me in, you know, following people on Instagram or Twitter. It's like, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of this music. This has happened a lot, but I can totally see a market for this and I'm excited to see where this can go. And, um, I feel like that would be enough for me to work for it. I don't know. I mean, Seb, do you, do you feel the same or? I agree, but I think that, you know, if tomorrow an artist sits in a room with, an ANR who really knows the culture of that specific genre and mm -hmm. that ANR who's just enthusiastic, 
he will go with a guy who likes it because he knows the culture, he knows the yeah. story. I, I still think, you know, if you know the culture and and and, and the history of of a of that specific genre, it always gives you an edge because right. the artists want to have this conversation of who he was fan, who he knew, uh, what what brought him into it. You know, it's like you know, I I have more credibility speaking about the history of dance music than speaking about about you know another genre because I grew up in it. I went right. to uh, to festival, you know, I've, I've tried to be a DJ and I failed. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's all part of, I really think that in those moments, culture really makes a difference. Cool. Um, awesome. I have, I have one question kind of off of that. Um, what does growth for an A&R look like? I mean, you know, the difference, what's the difference between somebody who has kind of just started out and somebody who's kind of been in the game for nine or 10 years or so? And, and what are some things that what are things, some, some, some growth periods that you've had and kind of what's incentivized that growth or inspired that growth? And, and what does that look like as an a in general? I mean, again, I, I can only speak about myself, but, yep. you know, what, what have helped me from day one in this business back when I was in Mauritius still was developing a network. You know, networking is the key for me as an a like mm-hmm. who you know, how big your your uh, you know your address book is? That's gonna make the difference at some point because as an owner, you want to be the first contact of a manager, of a lawyer, of an agent if they're coming right. across uh, uh, an, an artist. So for me, it's something that I've always put very forward. You know, I used to go to Amsterdam every year to the Amsterdam dance event, meeting you know every thirty minutes from nine a.m. to 8 p.m. meeting agent, meeting record label, meeting producer. Right. And, you know, you might make 80 meetings and, you know, maybe one of them is worth it, but it's going to make a difference at the end of the day, you know? And also, I think it's an, it's important for a to be known in the industry circuit because, as I said, you know, if someone has a hot artist, you want to be the one, the contact very quick and give you a heads up. And and I do think in my case, what has really made my, the difference for me is like knowing people. And I've I've made sure from the start to develop a, a global network. You know, I know mm-hmm. people in the US, in Australia, in Asia, in Africa, in Europe. And me, that has really helped me to be where I am today and also to learn. But, you know, how it how it works in Europe doesn't work in the US doesn't work in Africa because everywhere the music business works very differently. Right. You know, but you know, a great artist might come from Australia, might come from New Zealand, might come from Mexico. And me as a, as the a and I want to know this artist. I want to be the first to be in touch. Right. Awesome. No, it's excited, excited to, to see you continue to grow. And I think uh, still you've accomplished a lot, but I, I think still plenty more to, to work to be done, man. So really appreciate you coming on today as well to, to share Thank a lot you. of the, the tactics, man. Thank I you. think uh, really grateful. Uh, thanks so much and keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's super interesting. Love listening to what you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that, man. Well, thank Take you so care. much, Seb. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Man, that was a great episode. Really enjoyed hearing what Seb had to say. I think, um, I mean, just the balancing of personal preferences and also just really being able to understand what actually moves markets, paying attention to the right signals. I think that the value of being passionate about the artists you're fi- finding as well as a lot of the uh, um, 
the, the intangibles about the artist himself, just having that that conviction, that relentlessness to to know that they're going they're going to get it popping. So I think uh, you can't overlook that. I think it's it's as soft and airy as it may sound. Without it, man, you you ain't going to get too far in this industry. <laughs> right, right. I lo- I love talking about um, international music. I think that. You know, obviously we live in the U.S., we're from the U.S., and we know this market probably better than any other market. So it's really exciting for me to get to talk about different markets, especially Africa, because like we talked about during the, during the episode, not only are there different countries in Africa, for those who did not know, <laughs> but there's a lot of microcultures in Africa, and a lot of them um, that we haven't been able to see, a lot of them that have, have just lived in those microcultures now have an opportunity with the, the rise of, you know, and the, and the embrace in Africa of the internet um, to, to finally find a space in the music industry. So I was really excited to get him on to kind of talk about what that process may look like um, for now um, into the future. And definitely excited that, you know, we could get him on. I think there's a lot to learn from ARs across the board, but especially ARs at his stature and, and international ARs. You know, we kind of we saw this when we spoke with Tori about what international marketing looked like. I, I think it gives our listeners a, a new and fresh perspective. So definitely, definitely glad we got him on thousand percent well appreciate you guys as always uh get dialed in in the, the music business podcast community um if you want to join the conversation on our discord just check out uh musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community and without any further ado we'll see you guys next week uh we hyping up the outro without any further ado we out <laughs> I, 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 guess, I guess is what we're doing at this point but uh it's how you know it's, it's time, time for us to go so we're gonna take it we're gonna take care see you All right, peace.